Whew, how's everybody doing? Great. Did y'all enjoy the Grace Conference this past weekend? It was awesome. It was awesome. We had the privilege of taking uh, uh, Jeremiah and his son and his friend out on the boat and try to get them surfing. He was able to, to get up. All of them got up a little bit. He lost his watch in the process somehow. <laughs> um, so pray for, hopefully he has good insurance, but uh, he lost his Apple watch somewhere in there. But they had a really good time. We got to hang out with them a little bit more after the conference and get to know them. It was really cool. Um, and, man, it was just really good. I don't know if it was, I'm sure it was as good for y'all, but uh, we joked around about you guys just hanging out while they ministered to me and Tracy the whole time. Um, but that's the way it felt. I mean, it really felt like we needed a, a little bit of a shot in the arm or rejuvenation, whatever it's called, you know, just the Lord really speaking to us. And, you know, there's, <clears throat> there's times in pastors' lives when you really, really need that, and it was perfect. It was God's timing. You know, we couldn't have planned it better as far as what that looked like. And so we just appreciate you guys, um, everybody that helped prepare food and clean and organize the cleaning of this carpet and, you know, moving chairs in and out. Like all the stuff that makes this stuff happen um, is, is just as important as the speakers coming in and speaking because it made it so much easier for them to come in here and do that. So thank you guys so much, everybody that pitched in for that. Um, all right. So uh, something that we talked about during the conference, uh, two, well, one main theme that I'm going to kind of springboard off of and, and go and talk about what I want to talk about. But, uh, but one of the things that we talked about that, that uh, Paul White talked about was justice and, and how in the New Testament there's really no term, or there's, it's really not used or translated into justice, it's all righteous instead of justice. But that word justice kept kind of bugging me and, um, and then talking about uh, even in the Q&A, some of the things we were talking about in the Q&A kind of prompted some of what I want to talk about today. Um, but seeing, uh, seeing, and I've said before, one of the more difficult things, especially lately for me anyway, personally, I can't speak for you guys, is focusing on the, the gospel and not everything that's going on around us because there's a lot going on around us that it doesn't mean that we ignore everything. We recognize what's going on, but there's something I think that we need to focus on uh, the solution over the problems necessarily. And so that's, that's kind of the direction I want to go. I want to kind of talk about the solution. I was in management for about six years, and it was the only time I ever had employees that worked for me. And it was <coughs> it, there were good days and bad days, but there were always times, there was always problems, some kind of problems. If you've ever been in management, you know there's always issues, there's, there's going to be some problems in dealing with people. Those problems can be all over the place. And one of the things I learned the first year was I asked the guys that would come to me with issues or problems to bring some kind of solution with them. If you have a problem, I understand we want to work through it and talk about it, but please, try, let's try to find a solution too. I can't come up with all the solutions. If you've got the problem, maybe you have a solution and we can talk about it. So I think it's important that when we recognize problems that we don't just talk about the problems and get caught up in the issues and the problems and not talk about the solution. So I want to talk about the solution. So I'll give you the solution first, and then we'll kind of work, work through the problems as we talk about the solution. Should be should be pretty straightforward and simple. Um, something we talk about a lot here is love, and something that if you've ever been, I've officiated several weddings, and probably some of you guys in here, if you've ever heard me officiate a wedding, I talk a lot about agape love and the difference between it and all the other loves. I'm not going to talk about all the other ones, but I do want to focus on agape. Um, and this is pretty much a, a, a good definition of what agape love is. It says, agape love is uh, unconcerned with self and concerned with the greatest good of another. Agape isn't born just out of emotions, feelings, fam familiarity, or attraction, but from the will and as a choice. Agape requires faithfulness, commitment, and sacrifice without expecting anything in return. Uh, this is the type of love the Bible speaks about the most. In the New Testament, it references agape over 200 times. The Greeks 
To the Greeks, proper agape meant a general empathy or loving, uh, loving kindness for all people. Uh, though in the Bible, Christians are expected to care for all in the name of Christ. Christianity took this a step further. Biblical writers use God as the standard for true agape. Agape love in the Bible is love that comes from God. God's love isn't sentimental. It's part of his very character. God loves from an outpouring of who he is. As 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. And the word there is literally agape, meaning he is the source of agape love. His love is undeserved, gracious, and sacrificial. We are to love God and others with agape love. Agape is a choice, a deliberate striving for another's highest good, and is demonstrated through action. God set the standard for agape love in sending Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. So what I find a lot of times when we see problems and issues in our culture, in our world, um, in our country, and even it works its way into our churches, is most of these issues and things begin to cause division, right? We begin to see, okay, it's an us versus them, or us versus them mentality. Um, as we've discussed before, that's not how God's kingdom works. It doesn't work us versus them. Um, when we get into those, those positions, it's almost like there's no other way to go but be divisive about everything because you're trying to fight against people. And the Bible's clear that we don't fight against flesh and blood but against principalities and heavenly realms. So there, there's not a specific people group or even people that you are fighting against, okay? We have to establish that from the beginning. When we talk about agape love and, and having a sacrificial love, it's understanding that it's the understanding that we don't possess that love in and of ourselves, that that's something that comes from God. And so when, when we talk about the issues that we have in causing division, that's what I think frustrated me the most from everything that's been going on uh, lately, specifically in our country because that's where we live, and all over the world causing division and unrest in people, and it's trying to take a stand and fight for, kind of fight for our rights kind of thing, right? But the problem with that is we can't skip over the scriptures that, that speak very clearly about how the kingdom works when we don't fight for our rights, we fight for our neighbors, right? We, we, we sacrifice and we lay down our lives for our neighbors. We don't just fight for our own rights, we fight for the care of other people. And it's a completely, uh, almost upside down kingdom to what we're accustomed to, I believe, in, in our Western culture. Um, I can't remember if it was Paul White, I think Jeremiah Johnson might have mentioned that there's, you know, there's no, there's no denominations in the church in China, the underground church. They're not concerned about that right now. <laughs> you know, they're focused on the main thing, and I think that's what, if anything can come out of this, I think is going to be a great thing, that, that if we can really focus on the solution more than the issues, I believe we can see much more reconciliation and much less division. What I find specifically in, in churches, uh, and this is just my experience, is that when division begins to happen in a church, uh, it's, it's because we either disagree on some things or uh, we find fault in someone else because they don't see things the way that we see them, or that you could go on and on, the list can go on and on, but the, the, the issue with that is there are so many different parts of the body, and how many of you know that the church is the body, right? The eye can't say to the foot, oh, you're horrible because you don't see like I do, you know, and the foot can't say, shut up mouth, you know, <laughs> you need to be walking more. So the whole idea is I, I don't give every one of you guys a mic to get up here and speak every Sunday, and then, you know, Mike doesn't tell you guys, get up there and work that soundboard because you have no idea what all those lights and buttons do. So there's lots of different areas that we, we function and serve out in our culture, and then also it works its way into the church. And we have to recognize that not everybody sees things the way that we see them. And we have to understand that 
Um, God's made us that way. He's made us to be individuals. He's made us to be gifted in different areas. He has created us to be unique in different ways so that we can build each other up, not tear each other down. I think the, the thing that should be causing major um, growth and sustenance in the, in the modern church is the same thing that divides it with denominational barriers, with uh, bickering over basic theological issues and not caring enough for each, for each other to allow uh, disagreements over time to be able to be worked out. We're, we want everything to happen right now, right now, right now. And if we disagree with it, then it must be wrong and we need to go find somewhere else that, that someone can agree with you. I, I encourage you to find someone that you know that disagrees with you and make friends with them. I mean, seriously, take the time to go out to eat with them, sit down and talk to them, listen, here's the key, listen to what they have to say, don't just, don't just argue your side, actually listen to what they have to say, it will help you grow tremendously, it has for me, I've got, I've got several friends that I think we pretty much see eye to eye on everything, and then I've got a couple friends that we question each other and what we believe and why we believe it, and those things are very beneficial to me, and I hope it is to them too. Because what it does is it helps me understand what I, what I truly believe and why I believe it. So when a question arises that says, okay, well, what do you think about this? Most of the time I'll say, I don't know. Let me, let me study it. Let me pray about it. Let me look at what it means. Don't just, don't just react. We talked about this before. We respond. We take the time to actually pray about it and think about it. The same thing happens in not just in a specific church, but our church, um, and, or not just in our church, but as Christians, how we reach out to other people, how we recognize that same thing for other people. All right, Romans 13.10 says, uh, if you want to turn there, Romans 13.10, it says, love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. We're going to break this down real quick. The love here he's speaking of is agape. So if you go back to the Greeks, what it's talking about. Love, agape love does no harm. And even I, I, I watched a Paul White study a while back that he talked about even the way that it's translated into the English, it, it, it almost should say the love, not just a general love. It's speaking of this type of love, agape love. So you could almost say the love, this agape type of love, does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, this type of love is the fulfillment of the law. So this isn't a love, it is the love. It's the very, it's the very character of who God is, and it's that type of love that fulfills the law. So let's back up in Romans uh, 13, right before that, Romans 13, 8. So we'll jump to verse 8 right before that. It says, let no debt remain outstanding except continuing except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, shall not, you shall not murder, shall not steal, shall not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what Paul is actually quoting here is back from Leviticus 19, where he says, love your neighbor as yourself. So if you know that the Ten Commandments, the first ten are really... Uh, a lot of people will divide these up. The first ten are our relationship between us and God, and the, the second ten are more horizontal between us and other people. Um, and so this is really focusing on how we relate to other people that are around us. And so what he's saying is here, the, the most important thing that you can do is love your neighbor, and this is what agape love produces in you. Um, now we go back uh, to what I was talking about, the definition, when it says agape requires faithfulness, commitment, and sacrifice without expecting anything return, I want to encourage you that you can't do that on your own. <laughs> How do I know that? I can't do that on my own. <laughs> I know that I can't. I know that that type of love doesn't naturally come from me all the time. There are times when I don't love and I'm not sacrificial and I choose the wrong thing because it says agape is a choice. 
So in first, this helps us kind of understand this in 1 John 4.19. It says, we love, and this is agape. Again, you're, I'm going to be real redundant here. You're going to hear love and agape a lot. We'll just stop saying agape. All of these are agape. So we love because he first loved us. Now stop there. It's not just that. I believe that we love because he first loved us is because he gave us the ability to have this love. The agape type of love, the unconditional type of love, we don't possess fully on our own without him. It's pretty obvious when you get into different situations and you choose not to love, <laughs> that that's us and not him. It's the times when, when I want to make a choice that is more selfish and I feel like is quote-unquote right for me is the times when I have to go back and pray and go, okay, what does this look like to you, God? And he, he kind of reminds me of how much he loved me in the midst of everything that I was doing, and then it puts things in perspective. And so then I begin to love from that place. Does that make sense? And it's not making me feel bad that I was this horrible person, even though I was, but it's recognizing that even in the midst of my sin, God loved me. Even in the midst of me messing up, he ran me down, he chased me down, and he loved me. So when you, when you take a step, uh, just like Paul was talking about, when, when Jesus was doodling in the sand, taking a moment to hear what the Father has to say, about a certain situation, we, we do the same thing. We take the time to hear what God is saying about each, each individual situation. This is why there's no prescription. That's why I'm not, when, when I preach, I don't preach as prescriptive as I do descriptive, meaning when we find God as source, these things should describe you. I'm not prescribing them for you to do them so that you can act like you're more like Christ, okay? That's what religion does. Religion tries to copy something that, they, that you can't be. Relationship recognizes that you're a son, you're a daughter, that you are born again into a new family, that you are now um, finding God as source and you live from that place and you love others from that place, not your own. That makes things, that gives you a much greater, uh, much greater ability to, to have power and love because it's not on, on your strength, it's on his, right? When, when we find that we're weak, what does the Bible tell us? That he is strong, he's made strong in us. So when we, when we recognize that we, you know, we have these broken places. We have these places that don't, don't, we can't reconcile some things in, our, in ourselves. God brings his fullness. It says he fills all things in every way, so he places his fullness in us. We had a discussion um, with our, I know my kids hate me talking about them, but it is what it is. We had a discussion with our kids just, you know, as most parents do about all different types of things, and we talked about, um, you know, there's different addictions that people have, and some people are addicted to drugs or alcohol, different things like that. And, you know, the question was like, well, why, why do people do that? And so these are, these are good things that we need to talk about with friends and family and kids and everything. And th that came kind of on the tail end of another question about what happened uh, during service when uh, Jeremiah was praying for me and Tracy. And I, I was kind of shaking and, and making some different moves. They were asking why I was doing that. And I said, well, um, kind of the, the, to, to kind of explain some of that is some people will try to find an escape from their reality through you know, lots of different ways. Uh, what we were talking about specifically was drugs and alcohol. There's lots of other different ways that we try to escape our reality, right? We try to kind of shortcut the Holy Spirit in finding our own peace and our own joy and our own places outside of what God has for us, which is honestly his, his way is much better than our way. Um, but when we do this, the way that we explained it was, look, we, and even sadness, they were talking about being, being sad. I said, look, if you're sad and if you're struggling through some things and you're looking for an escape, come and talk to us about it. You know, as your father, I, I will do everything in my power to help you not feel this way and not, you know, deal with these issues. And God is the same way. And that's what I said. You know, there are places that we're still broken. We're still working through that in that moment when, you know, Jeremiah was praying for us, God was healing us in that moment. And those, that is not, and the cool thing about that is that wasn't a, an escape from reality. That was uh, <laughs> reconciling us to God's reality. So it was 
instead of us trying to shortcut the Holy Spirit through our own ability to try to try to numb whatever we're dealing with, God filled those places in us, in those areas that we needed them to be filled. And the cool thing is, He knows them better than we do. We didn't even know that we needed those. We didn't even know some of those places that we were hurt until God fixed them. Right? I'm, I'm saying I'm speaking for Tracy, but I know that I know that it was the same way with her. There were areas in our life that we were broken and hurt, broken and hurting that needed to be fixed that God fixed for us, right? So in the same way, when we explain to our kids, you know, when you're dealing with these things, I, I want to do everything in my power to help you, and we, we can pray about it, we can talk about it. If there's something in my power that I can do to help you, we want to do that. And so in the same way, your father does the same thing for you. He will fill those, those places, and it'll be better. Look, being drunk in the spirit is being better than drunk off alcohol. I'll tell you, I've been both. <laughs> um, uh, I don't want to get into the details about everything. We've got a bunch of kids in here, but I'm just saying all these things are better. I just started thinking about how many kids we have in here. I'm just telling you, God's, God's plan is not for you um, to not find joy. He is made of the stuff. He's, he is not trying to keep you from having fun. That was my opinion of God before I got saved was God's some cosmic killjoy not wanting me to enjoy this life. He, bless you. He, he, created us so that we could enjoy him and enjoy this life. He's not just waiting for you to die so you can go to heaven. He wants you to enjoy this life and be a part of what he's doing on the earth. And it's a, it, is an, it is a very joyous thing to do. But you can't do it on your own. You can't do it in your own strength. You don't possess the type of love that um, will, will go out of your way to love your neighbor. Here's what, um, and I love that Paul said this too because it's, it's the same way I feel sometimes is, you know, what we want to do, we want to react and we want to hit back and we want to fight back. And that's a very natural thing for us to do. But Jesus is very clear when he says that that's not the way the kingdom works. He knew that Judas was going to betray him and he still washed his feet. He had knowledge of this and he still washed his feet. He said even, I, he recognized that he possessed all that the Father had given him. From heaven to earth, he was in charge and he took that knowledge and he took that power and he bent down and he washed his disciples' feet. Not just... He didn't just speak it. He didn't just teach it, but he demonstrated in that. He demonstrated that meekness. I've told the kids this and you so many times. Meekness has been trans, basically translated into our language as though it's weakness and it's not. Meekness is power under control at its very core. Meekness is, just like Paul was saying, the ability to, to pull a sword but to put it in its sheath. The ability to have legions of angels come but to decide, no, I'm going to heal an ear. I choose the, the, the bigger plan, the greater plan. Listen, it's easy for, for me, I don't know about you, to fight back and to stand up. It's easy, it's hard for me to, to lay down and say, no, I, I'm not going to fight. That's difficult for me. I can fight in my own strength, but I can't lay down in my own strength. I need him to do that for me. Does that make sense? I can't sacrifice in the way that my neighbor needs in my own strength without him. So 1 John 4, 19 says, We love because he first loved us. He gave us the ability to love. Verse 20, Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister, whom they have not seen, cannot love God, whom they have, who they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Here's what i found over the years, sometimes it's easier to love a stranger than it is your own friend or family. Have y'all ever seen that? Have y'all ever experienced that? Sometimes you can go out of your way and love a stranger easier than you can your own friend or, or church member or family member or something like that. Why do you think that is? 
Do what? You'll never see him again? <laughs> that's good. I didn't even think about that, but that's true. You'll never see him again. That's one way. What, what else do you think? Familiarity breeds contempt. Okay. What else? Y'all can talk. That's okay. They don't get on your nerves. You're not around them a lot. Because if you're around them a lot, everybody's going to get on your nerves at some point, right? They've never disappointed you before. Okay. They haven't got to that place yet. You haven't, you haven't built that relationship to where, to where you're disappointed. That's true. That's all true. Here's what I love about Jesus is, going back to the Judas thing, he knew. He knew, he knew what was going to happen. Even the Pharisees, when he would get so frustrated with them, he still loved them. That's what blows my mind. There were years that I thought that Jesus just hated the Pharisees, and he didn't. He loved, the problem with being God is you're made of love. <laughs> That's not a problem, but you know what I mean? Like, he didn't have, he didn't have the option to not love them. Maybe he spoke to them in a different way that didn't sound loving, but he for sure loved them. And everything that he was saying was, was presented in a way that they could understand it. He quoted Torah all the time to them. He told them, go learn what it means that I desire mercy over sacrifice. Go read. You, you don't see what's really happening right in front of you. These guys are just wanting to eat, and you're so caught up in the law, you don't, you don't see the heart of God, right? He tells them, look, and he calls them, you know, you shut the kingdom up, and you put these heavy loads on people. He was trying to help them to see God's heart. He wasn't just trying to get on to him to get on to him. So much so that he met Nicodemus at night, you know, like, hey, be quiet. I'm going to meet you. And here's the thing. He didn't even, not only did he meet him at night, but he even quoted the Old Testament about, um, he told the whole story about Moses and, and everything that was going on so that he could help him understand because Nicodemus was like, I don't get it. How can you be born again? Do I go back in my mother's womb and then come out again? Like he didn't get it. And Jesus was so patient with him that he even walked him through something that he could understand. He walked him through. He brought him all the way back to the Old Testament and, and told him a story um, that he could understand because he wanted him to get it. Jesus, Jesus doesn't have the luxury of not loving. It, it is who he is. And having him with us, we don't have that luxury either. It's, it's, it's our very nature. <laughs> it's the, the icon that we talked about before. It's the very nature of who we are. We're made in the image of God. And since we've been reconciled through Jesus, that is our very nature is to love. And it doesn't always, it mostly doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> I want to say, I almost want to say it's the exception, but it's more the rule. I mean, to be honest, um, it's the, it is more the rule that it, that it looks backwards to the way that our kingdom works. Because no, no one really that you come in contact with deserves it, right? I mean, in, in one way or another, we've all fallen short. So there's, there's no one that you interact with and that you run into that really deserves the type of love that God gave you to give them. So the cool thing is you can take that off the table. You don't have to, you don't, you don't have to stress about that. So going back to why we, do, why we have a harder time loving and caring for the ones that we're closest to, because we know them too well, because we see some of the things that they do, because we're disappointed, because they get on our nerves. I mean, seriously, um, because we're familiar, we're comfortable, um, and so we find these things. The problem is those are the ones that we really need to reach out to and the ones that we really need to, to make sure that we um, express that type of love to because those are the ones, and this goes even uh, to our Christian brothers and sisters that we don't see eye to eye with you know, that aren't in our specific church or anything like that, is recognizing that God loves them just as much as he loves you. And what happens, especially when we begin to understand how good God is and his grace and his unmerited favor, that just like Jeremiah was talking about, we can almost get snobbish as though we've got the answer, and that's the exact opposite of what God wants.
So let's, let's get more redundant. Matthew twenty two thirty four. 34. says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love. Guess what love there means? It's agape. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second, and here's where the, the writers got it mixed up here. It says the second is like it, but in the Greek, it really means the second is the same as the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus didn't simply dismiss the Pharisees. He speaks to them in a way that they can understand. He tells them, he speaks of the law and the prophets because that's what they know. That's their language. He says, listen, all of the law and the prophets hang on this one thing, love. Unconditional, God-empowered love. Loving your neighbor as yourself. You can't love God if you don't love your neighbor. You can't say that you're a Christian and, not, and hate people. It just doesn't work. Luke 6.27 says, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those that hate you. Bless those that curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. I'm going to say this again. <laughs> but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone that asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Listen, Jesus doesn't just talk about this. He constantly demonstrated on the earth while he was here. He was constantly going around and ministering to everyone that he came in contact with, whether it was healing, teaching, just being generous and touching those that had had not been touched, the lepers and the ones that were hurt, um, reaching out to the marginalized, the ones that had been forgotten, and even speaking to the Pharisees in a way that they could understand so that they could get how this whole kingdom worked. Listen, like I said before, it's easy for us to love those that love us, but it's difficult for us to love those that hurt us, that take advantage of us and that don't return the type of love that we give them. Here's the thing about loving without conditions. You can't expect anything in return. Now, it talks about debts being paid. When you lend somebody something, and here's the thing, it's not just money. I'm talking about relationships here. When you give people love and you demonstrate love, one of the things that we don't have the luxury of is expecting something in return. Now, it's a benefit if it happens, but that's not something we should expect. You should give freely. We receive from God freely, and we give freely. We don't expect anything in return. That's conditional. That's, that's what I saw a lot growing up was the relation, a lot of the relationships that I would get in was I do for you and you do for me. I call hustle. <laughs> I call relationship hustle. I would, and, I would, and manipulation. There was a lot of manipulation. Manipulation. There was a lot of manipulation going on, and a lot of it was from me to other people. Um, but there was this, the same was was the other way around. 
I, I do this for you, and I may not say it, but I expect you to do something for me. And if you don't, I'm going to be mad. I'm going to be upset about it. And we're not going to be really good friends anymore, right? That's conditional. That's, that's not the type of relationships that God has for you. The freedom that we have is that we can give freely, and we don't have to expect any return because people aren't our source. God is. When we say, I can't believe I did all this for this person. Listen, I'm kind of preaching to myself here. I can't believe I poured myself out and I did all this for, these, for this person and now they've taken me for granted and they've hurt me and they've done this and they've, you know, all these things. What I do is I go to the Lord. I'm like, what, what am I supposed to do in this situation? And I recognize that he was my source the whole time and not this person. And I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense. I'm not looking for anything from, in return from this person. I'm looking to him for something in return, right? This is how we are as sons and daughters, not orphans. Orphans are always seeking the attention of others. Sons and daughters don't have to do that. Sons and daughters know who they are. Jesus knew who he was. When he was washing Judas' feet, he knew that his time was coming. When, when, when he recognized that he was being placed in control, of, that he had authority on heaven and earth, he recognized that his job was not to make everyone feel bad about what they did, but to sacrifice himself so that they could be saved. That should be our heart too. I'd love to skip over this because I don't like it. I don't like the idea of turning the other cheek so someone can hurt me. <laughs> I don't like the idea of giving someone something else if they've taken advantage of me. I don't like any of it. It doesn't, it's not something that I think, you know, I can't wait to do that. This is going to be really cool. Can't wait to be <laughs> taken advantage of, right? <laughs> but for me to recognize that and then just fight it is easy. That's easy for me to do. And that's something I can do in my own strength because I have a brain, right? But for me to recognize that something's happening like that and realize there's something bigger going on than what I'm looking at in the small picture of lending or borrowing or helping or ministering or whatever it is, if I don't see that there's something bigger going on than, than what is going on in this one person, then I'm, I'm going to be perpetually disappointed in myself and disappointed in everyone that I come in contact with. That's what religion did for me for years. I was perpetually disappointed in myself and I was disappointed in everybody else because none of us could live up to the expectations that I had in my head. That is, that is a horrible place to be. The freedom in knowing that Christ has not only died for you but given you his spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead for you to walk around as walking, talking temples in this earth is the freedom that says, I can pour out blessings on everybody I come in contact with and I don't expect a thing in return. That's freedom. Do with it what you will. I'm going to bless you. If you want to curse me, I'll shake the dust off my feet and I'll go bless somebody else. I'm not, I go to the Lord to find healing. I go to the Lord for him to, to, to find those places that I don't even know that I'm broken and heal them. It says, he's, it says his spirit, his, he's like a salve on your wounds where you're hurt. I go to him to find those places. That's, that's for him to heal, not for everybody else around me. I'm not going to go through this whole story. You know it. I'll go through it briefly. Just about, it's Luke 10, 25, and it's about being a good neighbor. I'll paraphrase here. I love paraphrases. Um, I'll give you the Waukesha standard, amplified, passionate version. So, uh, y'all must know, mostly know the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Basically, the, an expert in the law comes to Jesus and tries to challenge him and says, who, um, what do we need to do to inherit the kingdom? And he says, you know, 
what's the law say? They go back and forth. He says, be a good neighbor. And he's like, well, who's my neighbor? He says, be good to your neighbor. And he says, well, who's my neighbor? He's trying to justify himself, he says. So who's my neighbor? So he goes to this long thing, this long story about who the neighbor is. And he has these characters. And one's a Samaritan who's the enemy of the other two. And he ends up helping and basically flips the whole thing upside down and says, okay, go be like the Samaritan. Basically saying, it's not about, you don't need to determine who your neighbor, who you, who your neighbor is. You be the good neighbor to all. So he flips the whole story upside down when the guy's trying to justify himself about who he can be a good neighbor to and who he can withhold blessings from, who he can not be a good neighbor to. He's trying to find a loophole because he don't want to be a good neighbor to everybody. And many of us don't. And so what Jesus does is says, okay, what I'm trying to tell you is it's not about who is your good neighbor. You be the good neighbor. You're the good neighbor to everybody. And so what he's saying is the, the, way, the way that my love works is not the way that you've seen it in your your kingdom. My kingdom is completely different. You love in a way that is is completely abnormal to what you've seen up to this point. Um, John 15, 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that, so that my joy may be found in you and that your joy may be complete. Now, he says, if you keep my commands, now he's going to give you his command right here, verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. That's his command. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do, if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And just in case you missed it, verse 17, this is my command. <laughs> Love each other. Listen, the, the greatest thing that we can do on this earth and the thing that we are recognized by, and he goes on to talk about this later, is you will know that, that you, people will know that you're my disciples, how? That you, love, that you have love for one another. Listen, everything that we come in contact with, everything that we do in this, on this earth, everything that we carry on into eternity is, comes from that place of love, comes from that one command. John 13, 34 says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Just in case you missed it, I'm going to give you one more. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 13, 1, it says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and, cannot, and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may, that I'm, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. Yeah, most of you guys know this. You probably have it from Hobby Lobby in your house. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. I only say that because we have it too. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Listen, you will not outlast agape love. It will go on into eternity. Everything that we do on this earth that we carry on into eternity comes from agape love. Everything that we do from, from the smallest thing we do within the context of, of our relationships and our marriage and our kids and our friends and our churches 
to, to whatever platform we have to speak the truth to people comes from a place of love. If it doesn't, then we can boast in ourselves. And it says quite clearly we should not do that. Listen, I've, I've seen people that were extremely knowledgeable in Scripture and they did not love. I've seen people that speak in tongues and, and they did not love. <laughs> I've seen people prophesy and not love. But in the, in the other way around, when you begin to actually recognize and see how big and how important this agape love is, all the gifts will flow from that place. One of the things that I love about our church and the diversity of it is I know most of you guys. We've got a few visitors here, but I know most of you guys. And I know almost every family here comes from a different background uh, as far as a denomination and different things that you've experienced in your life through church, through, you know, revelation of kingdom, sonship, grace, um, just understanding the difference between relationship and religion, all these different things. And what I love is the agape love that can recognize someone else's gifting, someone else's experience over just wanting to argue and actually recognizing that that can be a strength and not a division. From from the very beginning, uh, when Trace and I first became pastors here and and trying to figure out how this is going to look and the direction we're going to go with this church because it kind of was all laid right down on us all at once and trying to figure that out, from the very beginning, our main focus was to, to keep that atmosphere of love that we've always had in this place. From that place, everything else will flow and everything else will find its way. If we elevate anything, and this all comes from the gospel, the good news of Jesus and the finished work on the cross, all of that is always going to be paramount here in our lives and in the lives of this church as long as we're pastors anyway. Anything else, in my opinion, that elevates itself or tries to elevate itself above that, you step into heresy. Anything that we try to grab a hold of and then create our own movement or our own church around that's outside of the, the reality of who Jesus is and the love that he brings us and we share with other people, to me, quickly turns into a man-made religion or a cult. And it's one of the things that I love, love, love about you guys and recognize when we had a visitor that came all the way from Louisiana for this conference. And um, when we, we all went to leave, I mean, we were here for a long time. We all, one of the, one of the signs of a healthy church is when we, when we, when we, end, nobody leaves, and we got to like turn the lights off and get everybody to leave. I think that's a good sign for a healthy church, but uh, we did that during the conference too, and then finally everybody started leaving and trickling down, and there was this one guy who drove all the way from Louisiana but wanted to stay from, uh, uh, Josh was his name, right? I think it was Josh. And uh, drove all the way from Louisiana, and he was like, well, I don't want to go all the way back home. <laughs> I was like, man, just stay. You're good. So we just left, and he hung out. He's like, I may just lay down on the couch or something. I was like, you're good. And uh, when we came back or whatever, he just said, man, I, I really appreciate he said, from the moment I stepped in this place, he said, I just felt loved like I was just a part of the family. And he said, and I can't believe, you know, when you guys left, you just kind of said, you can hang out here and, and, and just, you know, make yourself at home. And, uh, and we did. And he said, I just, that's, that speaks volumes of, of who we are as a church. And that, to me, is, I guess, a proud pastor moment. But knowing that that wasn't just from me or from our speakers, that was from you guys. He recognized that as we were hanging out and eating and talking to everybody and the discussions we had and then us just, you know, tell him, hang out, take, take a nap on the couch, whatever, we'll be back. And, uh, and he recognized that. And I think that's something that goes beyond just the structure of who we are as a church. It's in the hearts of you guys. And it's the spirit that is in you guys. And I appreciate that. And I love that. So 
God's love is how you're identified. We recognize that, how, how we're identified as disciples of Jesus. God's love is not passive, it's active. Jesus doesn't just teach it, but he demonstrates it everywhere he goes. That's how we are. God's love is sacrificial, placing others above, the, above ourselves. God's love never fails. It's eternal, and it'll never pass away. It is a supernatural type of love that is not gained on your own. It's only given and gifted through God. So I want to encourage you guys as we continue you know, meeting here, but also as you go out, recognize those places where you can reach out to other people and minister to them without expecting anything in return. When you find, your, when you find a place in freedom, now listen, that's, that's easy for me to say, um, but it's difficult to renew your mind to the reality that that's how we are to operate. Um, there are times when I need to be reminded and you may need to be reminded of that. That's why we come in here and we talk about it. Um, but I want to encourage you to keep that in, in as much as you can in the front of your mind that that our, our hearts are to, to help others and to bless others even above ourselves, and we can't do it on our own. We have to depend on him. The cool thing is, is it, pushes us, it pushes us deeper into the knowledge of how much God is to us and how much he has blessed us in every way when we go back to him, when we find those places where we are hurt or where it hasn't been returned in the way that we think it should be. All right, stand up with me. I'm going to pray for you guys. And you can try to go beat the other churches to the restaurants. Good luck. Y'all, yeah, y'all hang out. Yeah, what am I talking about? Y'all aren't going anywhere. Father, I just thank you, uh, Lord, that you have blessed us in you in every way. Lord, I thank you that as an expression of that, you've, you've given us this life. We're limited physically on this earth, but we're unlimited in the love that you give us. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you will take that supernatural love that you give us and open our eyes to the people around us that need it. Help us to give it freely, not expecting anything in return. Lord, help us to not be selfish with it. And Lord, just renew our minds to that truth that there is a hurting world out there and it's not us versus them. Lord, you've given us this, this ministry of reconciliation. Lord, help us to see it for what it is, that we aren't divisive with it, that we reconcile in every relationship that we come in contact with, that we find some way to reconcile, that we find some way to love outside of ourselves by the agape love that you've given us. And so, Lord, I thank you for it. I thank you that you gave it freely. We didn't deserve it. We couldn't earn it. Help us to give it the same way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.